Hello and welcome to this episode 38 of the Stack Magazine's podcast. My name's Stephen Watson, I'm the founder of Stack and I'm recording this on Thursday the 29th of June 2017. This week's episode is a recording from the Migrant Journal panel discussion that I was part of last week in Amsterdam. It had been organised by the Ateneum magazine shop over there and supported by WeTransfer, so they were able to fly me over along with Isabel Seifer, one of the designers, and the editor Justinian Tribune for a proper in-depth conversation about the making of the magazine. It was a beautiful sunny evening and I've got to say I was a little bit worried that I might be flying over to an empty room but it was completely packed which I think just goes to show how much enthusiasm there is for this magazine. I was particularly pleased to be involved in this one because this is the magazine we delivered to Stack subscribers last month and while we'd emailed lots back and forth I'd never actually met anyone from Migrant Journal before. As you'll hear, this is a very personal project for them. They describe themselves as migrants and they're motivated by reflecting the theme of migration in a way that feels somehow true to them. I think it's probably fair to say that a big part of the interest in the magazine comes from the current refugee crisis. And while they do engage with that part of the story, they also look elsewhere with an ambitious and really expansive view of migration that goes well beyond the headlines. Of course, if you'd like to enjoy this sort of quality independent publishing for yourself, you should sign up to Stack and we'll deliver a different independent magazine to your door every month. Just go to stackmagazines.com and use the code podcast and you'll get 10% off our regular prices, guaranteeing the best magazines delivered to your door for less. It was a real privilege to send Migrant Journal out to our subscribers this month, so I hope you'll enjoy this conversation with Isabel and Justinian, recorded in Amsterdam on the 21st of June 2017. Can you start by telling us, first of all, what is Migrant Journal and why do you think it has caught imaginations in the way that it has. Do you want to start? Go on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, we all have a different background and somehow we randomly met through connections. Few of us knew each other and we all had the same idea of giving kind of an intellectual response to what was happening in the media. We were not really feeling represented or we didn't like the way things were discussed or the way migration as a term was used, so it was kind of migration equals refugee crisis, and we felt this term was way broader than only this one term, it's only a small part, small part of it, and um, I think through different, like Justinian and Katarina, they knew each other from London, and they had this idea of doing a publication about, about this, and I met Katarina kind of the same time, and we were talking um, about our skills, like taking them as part of a journey to give a response to this. So this is kind of how it started. So this is a magazine very much made from your experience, you in a sense as migrants, because you have all come together from different places to make this magazine. And we all live in different countries where we're not from, so none of us is based in the country where they have the passport from. So it's quite, it's quite also in the process of how we do Migrant Journal, it really, we can really feel that we are kind of migrants in the very European sense but uh, mostly our communications is through digital media, so Slack, uh, Skype, and all these uh, places online. So, funny story, I didn't meet Justy until we launched issue one in London, in person, so. Yeah, after a year of working on issue one, we, for the first time we met the four of us uh, in London in October 2016, and so now um, one of the editors has just left the project, and uh, but we are, you know, we are. Uh, so uh, Isabel is uh, has a German passport. She lives in uh, Switzerland. Uh, Christoph, who's uh, sitting here, uh, has uh, uh, an Austrian passport. He lives in uh, Zurich as well with Isabel. And the two new editors uh, are uh, Spanish, living in London, and at the moment German, uh, living in Moscow. So um, and we also say, and it's not only you know about selling the project. It's it's actually true and genuine that that's all our stories, all the personal stories are also part of the project in the sense that we know what it means to live in another country. Uh, and even though we are, you know, in a sense, uh, 
privileged migrants and um, usually we would be called expats but we want to show that this is all part of the same story and actually I don't know how many of you here have lived in a country which is not the one you were born in um, but there's lots of uh, struggles and, and things you need to discover and, and uh, steps you need to pass uh, rites of passage uh, and that's very much part of the experience of migrant uh, may you be you know, white collar or creative migrant, or may you be one uh, you know, fleeing war or, or economic situations which are more difficult. Okay, so this is this is what migrant is and and how it came to be. What about why it's struck a chord in the way that it has? That's a difficult question. We <laughs> should ask you uh, in the room uh, to have uh, so many people coming here tonight to, to hear the three of us uh, talking about Migrant Journal. We should ask uh, Mark from uh, uh, Athenaeum News Centrum about you know, why he got in touch uh, maybe eight months before printing as we were doing the Kickstarter to tell us you know, uh, when that comes out. I want uh, 25 copies in my shop uh, in Amsterdam. Um, so uh, we, we're still trying to figure out the, the, the answer to that question, but what we've heard from uh, uh, bookshops, uh, what we've heard from readers is that um, there, were, there was lots of expectation. I mean, people were really uh, looking forward to have a magazine that is both uh, ambitious from a design and artistic point of view and that addresses a, a very topical issue and a, an important and political issue in an, ambitious, in an ambitious way as well. And it's quite interesting, sometimes I look back on like the phase before we did the Kickstarter, so we had like almost a year before the launch where we were discussing um, how we would do this, what kind of format, how would we, how would we get the finance, and you have this project already in mind, but um, it's really weird to see now how, how it all played out. I mean, I knew that there would be people interested in this and we were really passionate about it, but we never thought that it would be really this like widespread audience that would be interested in it. We really thought it would be more niche than it actually is now. And in terms of selling the thing, so you, you, you said before, like, you know, this isn't trying to sell the concept, mm -hmm. but you have literally, you've put the name uh, you've called it the Migrant Journal. This is, the, the, I saw last year several independent magazines talking about migration because it is this defining issue of our time. Mm -hmm. Whereas you guys came right out and were like, we are the Migrant Journal. Listen to us. Yeah, I think that there's no, I mean, that's, that's the whole part of the project is to reclaim that world of migration and to reclaim that world of migrant and show that it's not something uh, you know, complex or, or, or difficult or, or painful, but it's actually something very, uh, you know, very diverse and positive. And there are so many, uh, so many facets to that world, and that we should, you know, fully and and, and resolutely engage with it. And that calling it uh, migrant journal or migrant, uh, it's often also the short name for it, um, has proven really powerful. And and actually, that was. Um, one of the first reactions that we had when we launched, I mean, especially when we, start, uh, we started selling the magazines ourselves at Offprint in Paris, which is a, a book fair for independent publishers, and we had people coming to us and say, oh, that's you know, a magazine about migration, but they opened it and we had, I don't know if I can see it there, but at some point it would come up, we had those bronze, that bronze color that was used, and people were, people, that's the first issue, and people were telling us uh, but that you know, that's not the kind of color you should use for, to talk about migration, I mean, you know, that's, that's really not what you would expect. Well, that was ex exactly the, the aim of uh, the project and the design on that first issue. Okay, so, the, so to dig a bit deeper then into this thing that you have made, the, this second issue which has just come out is specifically the wired capital issue. And so wired capital, in your definition, is the intricate migration of information, data, finance, but also economic migrants. So basically the, the, the people who are being exploited and the ones who are doing the exploiting brought together in this one place. Why wired capital? What, what made you want to focus on this? Um, I can't even remember the actual genesis of this. We, uh, 
I think we, we really wanted to engage with those issues of economic migration. I mean, for the first issue, uh, looking at rural space, <coughs> we, we really wanted to surprise ourselves and to surprise the public by looking at the countryside. And we were actually happily surprised ourselves by the kind of the richness of the, of the content and the richness of the elements that we uh, uh, published uh, for the first issue. And for this, uh, for this second one, um, I think it's very much, first of all, of course, economic migration uh, is very important. It's a very important topic to address. And um, um, I was personally fascinated, and uh, Isabel and Christophe as well, by high-frequency trading and the inf infrastructure of uh, high-frequency trading. So you know, uh, um, HFT is um, that uh, you know, extremely rapid uh, uh, trading system, which is basically performed by robots. And in order to, uh, what's been really interesting is that in order to uh, you know, make more profits, uh, uh, people in New York first and then in Europe have started developing their own telecommunication infrastructure in order to gain a few milliseconds on a transaction, but a few milliseconds after a week or a month or a year of trading means billion of dollars. And therefore that became a huge market of private infrastructure of telecommunication and what we found fascinating in this is that it actually, you know, when, when we speak about internet, it's all about all in the air, it's Wi-Fi. I mean, we don't realize the infrastructure that's behind it. But when you go back to that kind of issue, the most, the biggest ambition of those uh, networks is to trace the straightest line possible. Because as soon as you have a curve, as soon as you have a bend, you lose a few milliseconds and then you lose a few million dollars. A year. So that's the kind of topic we really wanted to, to look at in this issue, and that's how we, we, uh, we got started with Wired Capital. And of course, we also used the uh, Karl Marx notion of capital, uh, which always uh, um, arouses uh, people's minds. And we were really surprised to see that the, that phrase Wired Capital had never been used before, so we were really happy of mm. having found that as well. Also, we, we thought of this concept. As an issue one, we kind of took this place as a topic, countryside, and here we have more concept that we would kind of alternate between the two. As we have six issues, we would alternate between concept and space roughly. So the next issue will be again more a place or a space. We are looking at the air and sea space, airborne, seaborne will be the topic. And uh, also as a contrast to, as we are always ask for when somebody sees migrant it's like oh is it about refugees oh it's about human migration but Wired Capital also gave us a bit the opportunity to give a contrast to that as with data and uh, finance and goods that are moving people really open are opening up in the conversation okay migration is really a broader concept and I think with issue two we could even show that more uh, and yet I think it's very important that you do still have that element of migration in there. And I, I think, I feel like if you didn't have that in there at all, there would be a feeling of you somehow ducking something or getting out of the way of it. So with the, the piece that you were talking about with the high frequency trading, mm. so you map out the current routes that the, the data takes mm -hmm. and the, the proposed routes, and then you have someone go to Calais. Yeah which just happens to be where so one of these routes goes straight through Calais and in that single piece you contrast the speed and purpose and efficiency of this data that's moving through there alongside this stagnation and frustration of the people who are there who are physically not able to carry on. Uh, yes, that, that's a piece by uh, Sophie Dyer, who's a London-based researcher, and Elena Benjaminson, who's a, 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 a Netherlands-based, I think she's in the Netherlands, uh, a photographer. And they went, they met actually via the internet, and they went together to Calais to do that, that, that research and, and tried, uh, Elena tried to uh, photograph what couldn't be pictured, i.e. Uh, waves uh, in the air and also having that reflection about who owns uh, the waves, who owns the Wi-Fi waves, uh, uh, for instance. Um, and that's definitely the kind of project that we are very fond of because they, they manage to make the connection between something very technical and that might seem very, I mean, that could seem very boring, uh, and something very human as well. And that uh, highlights very much that relation between capital, technology and also those human migration 
that uh, we hear um, a lot about. And this gets to the heart of what I love about your magazine. So the, we, we should say we sent Stack out, uh, we sent Migrant Journal out on Stack this month. And whenever we send a magazine on Stack, I get really nervous at the last minute. And I, I get like, oh no, oh no, no, is this wrong? <laughs> because the, it's, it's quite... Uh, I was nervous as well. I mean. it's, <laughs> it's quite a conceptually involved magazine. You need to sit down and spend time with this thing. But the thing that I love about it is the way that you have this commitment to showing the world through different eyes. So, I mean, how many thousands of column inches have been written about the jungle in Calais? I definitely had never seen it contrasted with the high-frequency data trading that's like going on in the same space. Mm -hmm. It seems that that's a very important thing to what the reason you started this magazine. And also, that's kind of what we discuss when we look at new contributions or a new issue, is that we don't want to say the same things that are already talked about. So uh, I guess that's also why we always try to avoid the obvious. Uh, we do have a piece on the Mediterranean Sea in the first issue, but I think we tackled it quite differently in, um, with a co contribution by Judita Vendram. She's also, she studied in Eindhoven. And um, I think it was her... Like final project, and she went um, on the high seas um, of Sicily to um, collect uh, water gallons, and uh, did an exhibition in Eindhoven, and um, just to show kind of um, the absurdity and the jurisdiction and the high waters that hundred meters or one kilometer or ten kilometers off, then there's no jurisdiction or it belongs to no country, and then there's no help that or no one is required to help, and kind of the water is still the same. So we had a kind of a conceptual approach to the topic that was in the media all the time, but from a different angle. And that's also what we always try to discuss. We don't need to say the same things that are already out there or to have opposite um, view on it. And, and I think, so maybe this is what you're saying, I think that sometimes you actually want to show people that the world is the polar opposite to what they thought it was. So you have a story in this one, um, about the migration flow between Portugal and Angola and with the vast mineral wealth in Angola and the recession, ongoing recession in Portugal, actually you're seeing a reversal of the traditional flow of migration. Mm -hmm. Maybe speak a bit about how that story came about. And, and so that, that, yeah, that's the story that you've just described uh, by Paulo Moreira and Petro Waldorf. And um, again, what is really interesting with this is that uh, you know, coming from a social science background and political science background, you could have a very boring way, to, a very boring way to approach that. Boring, at least for the general public, let's say, uh, where could you you could just throw figures at your face and write a very uh, dry uh, United Nations uh, a report about uh, you know migration of capital. Uh, but with this article, for instance, we we. We wanted to well to show uh, first of all an, another way to look at those issues of remittances, so i.e. Uh, 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 workers uh, sending money back home, uh, may they be here here in Europe sending money back to Angola, or there in Angola sending back uh, sending money back to Portugal, and uh, we wanted to show yeah another way um, a more human way as well a more human approach. And uh, yes, we were. It was really surprising to see how the situation had changed completely, and how it was actually Portuguese uh, migrants, Portuguese workers based in Angola, working especially in the oil industry, sending much money back home than the Angoli, um, uh, people from Angola based in Portugal, and then sending back money to the south, which would be the usual, you know, pictures, uh, usual prejudice you have. Um, and uh, but that piece, I mean, I think, I hope, addresses that issue uh, in an accessible uh, uh, way for um, a public which is uh, who's not necessarily specialists. And I think that's very important as well in the sense that we we don't want to be an academic publication. Quite obviously, uh, we do uh, invite at least one academic to uh, contribute, and that's usually the, the let's say the most. Uh, meaty and sort of time-consuming piece to read, but we are very keen to have that kind of piece. Um, but we really want to bring a topic which might seem complex through a, vi a variety of, me of media as well, 
and to make sure that it touches uh, as many people uh, um, as possible. Um, and uh, it seems that so far it's been it's been working okay. Yeah, and I think also the way we, in terms of um, not layout, but the way the contributions are built, we have we really try to have um, photo reportage to explain the topic. So it's really diverse in the sense that, as Juicy said, it could be really dry, but we also try to have different narratives or with like all the infographics or the way we uh, use image or try to find images to get an interest into the story and then all this data or all this supposedly dry uh, topic reveals quite easily. And you, so you were saying earlier that you work quite separately. I mean, for obvious reasons, because you're in different countries. But does that then mean that sometimes you look at what's coming in and you say, come on, Justinian, what am I supposed to do with this? What am I supposed to do with this story about capital flows? <laughs> I'm turning off my mind. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't really... Uh, I think we don't really have this kind of super traditional role between designers and editors. We have this editorial meeting in, uh, at the beginning of an issue and we look at all the contributions or ideas that we have and then discuss already how this could work. So we would say, okay, for, for this uh, high frequency trading piece, for instance, we already knew that they would come with pictures. They had taken photos and we asked them to write a, um, a 600 or 800 word text for it. Um, and then we decided also to give an additional um, layer of information through a double spread of infographic that we worked on ourselves. So that's how it usually works. So it's never that everything comes in and we didn't know about it before we quite, uh, plan quite ahead. And the way we do it also is that we get proposals of ideas and sometimes people have already quite finished projects, but then we can speak with them about we need more images or could you provide this kind of text or would you write a, a concluding piece? Or they just come with an idea and then we speak with them and like how could this be well presented? So it's not really a surprise. Uh, and you also uh, visually have your special secret weapon of your lovely metallic inks. Yeah, um, well, that it's metallic came a bit, well, that was quite uh, a coincidence, to be honest, but we, we had this idea of using a color profile quite early on because we saw in the first issue that we had diverse materials. Some would come with iPhone pictures, some had really nice imagery from photographers, some were just like random images, and we are like, how would this like go together in a journal? It needs to be appealing and nice to read and not like distract because it's already quite dense of information layers with infographics. We have kind of more uh, scientific um, texts. We have reportage, we have um, maps, we have smaller images, we have bigger photo images uh, like photo reportage, which has like have a different narrative. So we needed something that would combine them and really make them strong as one one publication. So that's how we came up with this color profile idea. So it would have like a similar tone and also not depending on the quality of the image. And then in the beginning we actually didn't have the bronze. We had a blue blue color, right? We had like a, for the in the Kickstarter you can see that actually that uh, we already had the green cover, but we had black type on it and inside we had like a kind of blue ink that we thought we would use and then over time, we were like, oh, all those images, they were really like, had like a very, because of the topic across country, a lot of images had like a brownish kind of feel to it. And we felt that the blue was really distracting from that or make them look really different from what they are. And we were like, no, we need to work with something more brown. And that's somehow how we came up with the bronze. And uh, we had this long discussion between issue one and two, if we would continue with the metallic or if we would use something else. But... Uh, I don't know, we felt it was actually quite an interesting effect and with Wired Capital, the silver blue fit really well again because of uh, the kind of technical, mechanical, um, currency feeling and we wanted that for this, so we will continue with that. <laughs> and, and I think that you, you've ended up with something, because it's quite subtle, I mean, it's, it, in a funny way it's very pronounced but it's also quite subtle and so you end up with the has, has everyone here seen the issue that we're talking about yeah yeah okay good 
So the, the abattoir images, so the, like these really brutal abattoir images that actually end up taking on this kind of ethereal, sort of otherworldly feel to them because it's got this silver ink running through it. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's always a test. We are really struggling, uh, always just before print, because we're like, how is it going to turn out? And also, um, we're sensitive to what the photographer feels about it. Well, often we uh, buy images, but we also have photography pieces, like the one from the heavens, which is from two really amazing photographers who were, who were looking at tax havens all around the world, and we obviously asked them if we can do it, but... Now with issue one, we can send them a reference, and so far everyone was super excited about it and said, yes, you can definitely do this to my images. So thank God. Um, but yeah, we try to really um, like be true to the image still, even though it's a change, we don't want them to be uh, artificial or even comed uh, comic, or we still want it to be serious. And uh, Christoph and I, we always go to the printer and check uh, there, and change things and really make sure it's, it's well well done. Uh, I talked to, well, I, I mentioned earlier the idea of you showing the world in a new light. And I think that with these images, you're, you're very literally doing that. You're, you're putting a, a new light onto the images. But then looking at the other types of image you have in the magazine, so you have those infographics that really dig down deep into the numbers and show a subject from a different perspective. <coughs> And then you also have those crazy illustrations that uh, give a much more impressionistic idea of something. So maybe tell us a bit about how you balance those two. So some very specific data and some really uh, impressionistic stuff. Um, so the idea for infographics and maps came really early on. I think that was actually the first idea we had when we started speaking about doing a publication series and doing about migration. And uh, Christoph and I really thought like, Atlas is a good base, like we, we did this huge research about um, ancient and like really old Atlas and looked at the way the language works and the way data is presented uh, because we felt we needed exactly this reader experience where migration can be really dry as we already said before but we want it to be like a really good experience and if somebody is like put off by a title because maybe it sounds too um, scientific or whatever, maybe they draw into the map and then they find it interesting and then they read the article. So we wanted to give different points of entry to, a, to, a, to an article or to a contribution or images that are really interesting also with the effect of the, um, of the color profile. So we knew early on that we wanted to work with this contextualizing material, more infographics and maps showing certain ways, especially as it's about movement. You do need to show this if you only have text. Sometimes it's difficult to really map this out. So with this in mind from the beginning, we could really um, work with the contributors or ourselves on making this information visible or researching it. And then with the more um, illustrative parts, we felt it still needs this balance between, it's a very it's a serious journal, but we also want it to be a fun experience. We don't want it to be super dry and only like stiff infographics. We want, we want it to be like an engaging experience. So that's how we try to balance it off. Okay, I'm gonna press you for more on that though, because the, when, <laughs> I, when I open the, this issue, the first thing I get is, is this, the, the, the crazy squiggles in the silvery ink. So like, what's, what's your thought process in the, the first impression someone's gonna get when they open the magazine, I want it to be this? Well, we have to maybe start with the first journal we don't have here right now, but maybe, I don't know if there was a photo of the first pages. Um, we had actually a long discussion about this uh, when we printed issue one. Um, oh, you mean the, the first, first opening? Yeah. We had, um, three satellite images of um, kind of uh, landscapes where something was happening and it was really abstract. And then the editorial starts on the fourth page and there we had some kind of uh, more illustrations that would fit the text to um, our introduction. So we had passports as we are speaking about our group, we were introducing ourselves. And we had a long discussion if we should just open with an image and not like the intro right away or a text and we kind of disagreed for a week and uh, we like we were really fond on having just images because we wanted somebody to just flow in and be like 
what's this about? And we already had a very typographic cover, uh, which was clear from the beginning, and we have this sold out with a map here. So we didn't want any additional information to distract from this. Um, so this is how this kind of structural process came about. And um, for the second piece, we knew, so we had this satellite images for the first one, but with this one, we're like, okay, we're going to start with kind of the editorial illustrations already in the beginning. So we don't have this divide. And I don't know, we just came up with this idea that we already have such concrete data and maps and everything inside, and it's a really, really dense uh, issue, issue two. And uh, we wanted to start with something that's appealing, but maybe a bit more abstract and doesn't have like a heavy um, information in the background that you need to already understand. Yeah. I'm going to ask the questions from the audience in just a minute. So if there's anything that you want to know, please um, be thinking about it. I think we've got a microphone that is going to come around. Um, but you were saying earlier that you have got new team members coming. So you've had some people leave, some new people coming on. There's going to be more of you. How do you think this is going to affect what you're doing? Um, well, we're going to be five instead of four, so it's not a huge increase. But I think it's going to impact the project a lot. 20%. Um, excuse me? 20%. 20%, yeah, that's, that's quite big. Um, I think it's going to, I mean, the, the main aim of this is to uh, you know, bring a new perspective. Um, there are, uh, you know, people we... we, we I mean, uh, one of the editor is going to be uh, Damaso uh, Randolph, who also contributing to issue two. Um, I've met him you know, three or four times. I just uh, know I've discovered his work first in Oslo at the Oslo Architecture Triennale. Then uh, he proposed, he pitched something for my journal issue two, which was a really good piece. Um, so he's going to bring, you know, his own experience, his own readings, uh, his own uh, uh, networks, intellectual networks, both so social networks. Uh, and the, the other editor to join us uh, is uh, Michaela Busse. Uh, so she's, right, she's currently in Moscow, uh, uh, sort of studying there, studying, researching uh, in Moscow. And she's going to uh, move back to Berlin and then hopefully to Zurich. Um, so once again, uh, 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 Michaela is more into uh, media studies and cultural studies, which is, again, something I'm not familiar uh, with. Um, uh, and um, so it's all about you know, those two new uh, newbies uh, bringing their own, uh, their own experience and, and, you know, what they want in this magazine and what we really try to do is to have a flat uh, structure uh, in the publication so that we, there's five of us and we try to have all the same, uh, yeah, the, the same weight uh, in a discussion. So there's no editor-in-chief, uh, there, there are three editors, there are two uh, co-editors and uh, art directors. Um, and uh, yeah, we all have our voice, uh, and we all try. And so far, we've all reached compromise about you know decision or, or you know choice we want to make about who should contribute and what kind of uh, infographics should go there and, and that kind of issue. So that's something that's really uh, important to us. Uh, it's uh, not always easy; it takes lots of time to reach compromise. Uh, but it's an interesting uh, process, and so far, uh, that's what made also the wealth of, of those two first issues. And looking right ahead to the end, because this is a, a six-issue project, so you have a finite amount of time that you're working on this. What do you want to achieve with the magazine by the end point? What's the end goal? That's a tricky one. There, there are the official end goals, the one we can say, and there are the, the, the one we keep signed. Nobody's for listening. Us. Just tell um, us. I mean, for me, the, 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 the end goal is to have, by the end of this project, as many readers as possible. Um, I mean, my, my personal ambition has never, to, uh, has never been to make a bijou publication, you know, printed at 500 uh, copies. Uh, uh, with a nice mention for each reader written on page. I mean, I love that kind of stuff, but that's not what I, wa I wanted with this project. I mean, if we reach 20,000 copies at the end of the six issues, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be extremely happy. I mean, the, really the ambition for me is to produce a, a cultural artifact that's going to mark a, you know, a whatever, generation or a decade uh, or a few years and uh, trying to make an impact on how people approach migration and if at the end of those six, six issues, our readers have another uh, can uh, you know have another look at the world around us and the people around them, 
and all the different artifacts and devices they use every day uh, and, and realize that movement is everywhere, then, then that, that, that's great. And that's going to be uh, a goal uh, achieved. Yeah. And also, I think on the secondary, like apart from the topic, it's also um, for us this kind of goal to make a publication that is serious in a way. It's not only, it is entertainment, but not only we wanted, we felt there was, there is like this movement slowly, but uh, I think it, it is changing now and we, we're really happy to be part of that. And I think uh, we would be really happy, we discussed this before when we came uh, after the six issues, if there was kind of an aspiration for designers or architects to really use their skills to take part in, the, in a like, very important public discussion and not stay in their bubble. Yeah. All right, so I'm going to throw it open to the room. Does anyone have any questions for the two up here? We've got several down the front here. Hi, um, I was wondering, do you have like a, a reader in mind that you're making this for? And also, do you have any data about who actually is reading this? Um, so we actually never really th like talked about necessarily this one reader. Obviously, in the beginning, Katarina and Justi have a more urban architecture background, so we we knew also the way we set up issue one that it would strike a chord with them. And uh, also, we knew that if we would find an interesting, appealing form, a graphic design, that these people would be interested in that as well. But it was kind of an experiment and. I think we were really surprised to see very early on how diverse our readership is. And as we were in book fairs, we had direct contact. Um, also with a lot of events, we saw who's really reading this. And we're quite happy to see that it's quite diverse. Obviously, um, there is a certain elite that could in Europe that can buy these kind of magazines. So, I mean, we're not saying that we are in, like, just you were in Tunis, that there's like a strong readership yet. I mean, it's really difficult to tap into that. But still, in Europe, I think we have quite a diverse readership from people who have a like, political or like uh, urban background to designers, to architects, to um, scientists even. So it's quite diverse. It's, yeah, it's fairly diverse. I mean, book fairs uh, are a great way to meet the people that read my journal and, to, of course, to convince new readers. Uh, when I have time, I, uh, I like to stalk uh, the people who buy it on our website, so I, I check them out uh, and I see what they do. Uh, it's very much, uh, uh, it's very personalized marketing. <laughs> Everything's legal, I would say. Uh, but it's a great question, uh, so we're gonna, you know, we're gonna do some uh, data gathering right now. So, um, can you raise your hand if you work or if you study graphic design? Wow. <laughs> so we have about a, th a third of the room. Uh, can you raise your hand uh, if you are in architecture or urban planning or urban studies? Ah, we only have. Two. That's that's interesting. And can can you raise your hand if you work uh, in a, or if you study? I mean, if you study social science or if you are a lecturer in social science at university. Yeah, so that's about five or, or ten percent. And so, who hasn't raised their hand yet? <laughs> <laughs> what what do you do? What do you do? Or journalists? Um, no, I'm not a journalist, but I'm a, a social worker as well. Social worker. Okay. Um, so, so it's, I mean, it's great to see that tonight because um, when we started, uh, when I had time, uh, and when we didn't have many readers, so I could either I knew them or I could uh, I had time to actually check them out, all out. Uh, we had about thirty percent graphic design. Uh, uh, no, four. Yeah, let's say thirty-five percent graphic design, thirty-five percent uh, architecture and urban planning related. And the rest were either journalists or artists or you know a diversity of different readers coming from different backgrounds. Um, so the 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 hands that you know that you raised tonight show that you know this is moving as well, and we have a, a wider kind of readership, which is amazing, and uh, that's exactly what we are aiming for. Have you gone as far as Google Street View yet? 
<laughs> we actually had that for issue one. Uh, for, what? Well, for issue one, uh, uh, Katerina had uh, set up, she had found a way to uh, put a map of all our readers. And actually, if you, we didn't alert, we didn't enable that that on, on our website, but you, you could actually zoom pretty close on, on the address of the people. So that was really interesting as well. We won't do that again. I think that's uh, <laughs> that's really close to a data breach. Uh, so we won't do that again. But yes, we know roughly. So obviously, we we do the um, uh, people buy through our website. Otherwise, they buy through bookshops throughout the world. So we know roughly where people live, uh, and that's also been interesting to 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 study uh, and to, to, as a social phenomenon, you know. Purely as a social phenomenon. <laughs> Any more questions? We have set again several hands down the front. Yeah. Oh, there you, sir. Uh, hello. Um, thank you very much for your discussion. Uh, it's actually the first time I hear about this journal. <laughs> so um, I'm wondering, like you said, your audience is uh, diverse, uh, but I think there might be something very important in common. These people probably are. Um, let's say, more positively inclined towards the concept of migration and um, already look quite openly at this phenomena because uh, it's hard for me to imagine that some very conservative anti-immigrant person would spend money on your journal. Uh, or what do you think about it? Because um, I actually it's just my guess and I'm wondering whether with your publications you're Trying to reach out to people who are strongly anti-migration. Um, we had this discussion quite a lot, and also we had an event in Basel last year where we also discussed something very similar. But we have to be quite honest. There's only so much you can do, and uh, what we had as an aim is to start a discussion and to uh, to also create an archive over three years to discuss this topic about migration and um, alternative stories and. For us, we felt this is all we can do. This is actually we already, I think, went over our skill set and really pushed it. But I think to really have this aim to convert people who are already really fixed in their ideas, I think, uh, I mean, I don't know how I would how we would manage that. If one or the other would pick it up, I'd be really happy. And um, I think there's always this underlying um, influence that maybe we can't measure yet, but. Uh, yeah. We should create some sort of voucher, which is, uh, you know, uh, make a gift of migrant journal to your right-wing friend. <laughs> uh, that's the best way to reach out to them. Uh, and, but more seriously, uh, I think for us, the next, uh, the next step is to, I mean, a great way to spread the word is to be in, in uh, general, uh, generalist press. So in, we were in Sight Magazine for issue one, and that actually had a big impact. Um, so a, a good way to reach out to people who do not know the magazine and who would not buy us, uh, who would not buy it uh, like, like this, is to be present in generalist press, to be present in uh, libraries as well. Uh, I think that's a good way to reach a public that would not, you know, uh, buy themselves uh, uh, walk in a shop uh, like Mark's shop, uh, Athena New Centrum, and and get a journal called Migrant Journal. Uh, but it's it's a tr it's a very difficult uh, uh, question, uh, as is ever uh, said. So, Rob, you had a question. Um, if you could, would you make more than six? Would you like the fact that it's you know exactly where the end point is, and if that's what you're working towards? No, I'm I'm really interested in your answer. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's a difficult one. I think um, we started with uh, with six issue. There's no reason for that. Uh, I think we just wanted to end. To, we just wanted an end to that project because we knew it would be a lots of work, and uh, also that uh, you know when we uh, we started with 800 copies, so there was no question that we would never make any money with this. So it's a very time-consuming, and there's you know there's just no financial retribution for us as of now. Um, so we I think we needed an end uh, because. Uh, uh, I mean, uh, writing or, or editing uh, is my job. Uh, uh, designing, uh, obviously, is uh, Isabel and Christophe's jobs. So you know, we, we need to uh, do jobs that pay to uh, to uh, pay the rent. Uh, uh, so that's one of the starting points, I would say. And then uh, it ended up uh, uh, creating some sort of 
I think, some sort of myth <laughs> around the magazine. And I think it's going to uh, keep on uh, developing, gaining momentum around that, because people know that there is an end. And it also, from an editorial and design point of view, it does also uh, create also for us ourselves an appetite to make sure that you know each issue we know that we have only six shots and if we fail one it's such a waste of, of, of time really uh, so that's also great uh, for, for us to, to have that um, but then uh, if we um, what we were what we already thinking about is to have a big maybe a big symposium a big conference or an event at the end of those six issues uh, and maybe that will be the opportunity to you know, create a book or something extra. I mean, nothing's decided so far. But um, I think, I mean, so far the, the discussion is to stop, to actually stop at after six issue. But of course, we will keep working on projects, on new projects uh, after that. And may that be together or separately. Uh, so that that's not the end of you know, the, the Magon Journal team, I would say. Yeah. I don't think I have much to add, but I'm quite surprised. Yeah, I think it was more an internal decision than an external one. And uh, I think it works really well. Um, I can only speak for myself, but as you said, knowing that there are six issues and uh, <coughs> we have quite a strong um, ambition and we want a lot of detail and we want it to be really like a dense, great experience. It's nice to know it's six times and not like open-ended. And maybe you have one in between where like, ah, we don't have so much time now. We're just like quickly going to do it. We don't want this for this uh, series. And I think that works really pretty well for us. But yeah, we, we all had this actually from the beginning, the discussions also the way we launched in London was uh, with a small exhibition um, in a space that was um, um, given to us by the Swiss Cultural Fund. Um, in London and then we wanted to also do a symposium because we didn't want it to be only something on the surface where people walk in, you have nice uh, infographics and banners. So we actually managed to find a space um, in the south of London to do a small symposium. We invited two contributors, one from Italy, um, Marco Ferrari from Folder Studio and Heffin Jones, who is based in London, to speak about their project. And we really like that it's, it is the publication, but it's also kind of a platform. And for issue two, we didn't do this because we have so many events around this time where we were already invited, so our schedules were quite full. And uh, we would, were already able to exchange um, or like to continue this discussion. But for issue three, we're already speaking a lot about how could we do already a smaller symposium, invite uh, contributors from issue three, and always have this kind of gathering and also public discussion. Um, so yes, to um, so we started with the crowdfunding uh, because we uh, didn't have money ourselves. No, and we actually uh, started with applying for funding. Yes, that's true. We applied for funding and we didn't get any. Um, and the reason for that is it actually is an interesting story. Aside from the project didn't exist, we have a struggle with we all live in countries where we're not from, so. In Switzerland, for instance, it's not a Swiss project. It's not Swiss enough. It's not about Switzerland. In Germany and France, it's in English. It, we always knew it's going to be written in English. So you have problems with if it's not published in their language, they won't give you money. So we have all these pr uh, problems. That's how we came to the Kickstarter. Yes. Actually. By the way, I saw that the, the, the Netherlands Creative Fund tweeted at us tonight. So uh, if you're in the room, <laughs> <laughs> uh, no. But uh, to answer your question, yes, that's how we funded the first issue, and um, we are trying. Uh, so far, we've been able to fund each issue with the sales of the the previous one. Uh, we lose, I think, a tiny bit of money, but so far we've been able to sort of compensate and sort of survive that way um, uh, and uh, no we don't pay ourselves uh, so far I mean, and um, we are applying to funds to funding so sponsorship um, uh, we have a few and uh, we have one main ongoing uh, application um, and basically the only way uh, that could be a way sort of a way to earn a bit of living 
in a way to sort of have a publication that's uh, very healthy, financially speaking, would be to increase uh, the number of copies uh, we print and, and we sell. So the key is really in the, in the numbers because there's also something that we didn't mention is that we, we sell it at 20 euros and we've, it's been a key uh, element from the very beginning that even though it's a, a beautifully printed and designed and, and created publication, we wanted to keep the price uh, fairly low, uh, even though of course 20 euros might already seem quite expensive, but we wanted to keep the, f the price fairly low so that it, could be, uh, it wouldn't turn into a luxury product. But if we were to, I did calculation once, but it's too, my, my heart bleeds, but uh, if we were to make it something profitable, it would be around maybe 35 or 40 euros. And then everybody could be paid properly. Uh, but that gives you an idea of you know, the kind of uh, uh, sort of uh, scale and, and margins we're, we're looking at. But also, I mean, in terms of publishing a magazine, most magazines, they already calculate in that the first four or five issues it will be more even out, and then they start having people that want to have ads in there. You know, you have build your base, and then you have bigger print runs. And by the sixth issue, you might have uh, black numbers, but we are stopping at the sixth issue, so <laughs> we were already it was cl quite clear that it will go like this. Um, and and a last point on this. Uh, that's why we also say that uh, we are at, uh, operating as a non-profit. Uh, of course, we're not a charity. Uh, we are a limited company, so we are a proper uh, business from a legal point of view. But so far, we are very much operating as a not-for-profit because we reinvest all the profits in the next issue, which is also key. I mean, uh, important to, to bear in mind. So there's a question right at the back. writing one, I would say, uh, in a sense, uh, because you probably have an experience, I, I can't see you, sorry, I'm behind the pillar. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not dodging the question, but it's more about sharing an experience and, and uh, of course, finding a way to, to share that, I would say, with our readers. I mean, so far, we had that question recently, actually. Uh, so far, we never had a refugee or uh, an illegal uh, immigrant, uh, immigrant writing anything. Uh, but f yeah, I, I, I could I wouldn't know what to answer straight onto your question. Maybe, maybe Isabel has an answer. But for me, it would be more about getting the experience and being able to share it with our readers. And there's lots of, I mean, it might be uh, it might be pairing with a journalist. Uh, it might be that this person is also an intellectual writer. There, there are lots of uh, of them uh, as part of the uh, yeah the flow of uh, migration of refugees. So yeah. That would be that would be my answer. I don't know if it's satisfactory, uh, satisfying you, but uh. the, the gods of disco seem to have been satisfied by that. <laughs> you have, you have music, a musical accompaniment now. Um, I, I would just add to that: there are magazines that specifically do that. There are magazines that exist to uh, platform uh, work by migrants and refugees, or to tell their stories with them. So I guess it's, I think that what you guys are doing is just something that's slightly separate from telling those stories in a straight up way. And also, I mean, it's not about the content in the journal, but we had a really nice uh, event in Basel uh, last November. We were able to display our huge banners where we had infographics. We had one world map uh, showing the 45 uh, biggest migration flows in 2015 and the Medi Mediterranean Sea uh, migration routes and we were inside uh, discussing possible topics about wired capital so we were planning kind of with the public issue too and there were various uh, um, people coming in and saying oh I just saw this infographic uh, I came here from Syria and we had also an elderly lady so we did have this kind of engagement through more our installation and through the journal directly, but I found this was a really interesting moment. They joined us for the whole evening to the discussion. Just on a second. Do you have any more questions? 
Hey. Um, <laughs> I'm assuming that you already know um, every issue that you're going to be publishing with the title and concept of it. Uh, which is the one that you're looking forward to the most, or that you think will be, um, yeah, I guess the, the most personally interesting. Trying to get tips. <laughs> <laughs> We also have different opinions about it, probably. Uh, we know that the we know the topic for the next for issue three and four. Yeah. That's uh, that's certain. And for issue five and six, uh, we're not so sure yet uh, because we have a few ideas. We also have those two new editors joining us, so we want to leave room as well for them to make decisions or to propose uh, concepts. Uh, so no, we don't have an idea for issue five and six, um, and um, frankly, I don't know uh, which one I would. Uh, I'm looking forward the most for. Uh, I don't know if that's very grammatically correct, uh, but um, yeah, I can I can be really cheesy and tell you that the next one is always the most exciting. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's interesting because, uh, for instance, for. Um, Christophe and I, we really loved Wired Capital. We've, it was really interesting for us um, as a topic. And uh, in the beginning, uh, we, all, we always liked issue three, but we didn't have a connection yet. And now that we're discussing possible contributions and we're sending uh, articles around or projects, we're like, okay, this is going to be a super great issue. It's really interesting. So the more you get into that, then it's easier to also know what kind of stories there will be. So for the fourth issue, we only have kind of the overall concept, but there's nothing concrete yet, so it's a bit difficult to be excited about it. It's like saying it's going to be the best. <laughs> Which one are you looking forward to just finishing and not having it <laughs> hanging over you anymore? <laughs> yeah, but the, you know, the life, my, I mean, our life is going to be fairly Super empty boring. as well. <laughs> and, uh, it's like, uh, it's a cliche, but it's like when your, your children leave the house and uh, you don't have like... What used to take you two or three days a week, because right now that's what it takes uh, uh, me, and I'm sure you as well. Uh, yeah, when it's going to be done, I'm sure we're going to do something new to fill that. Avoid, yeah. Um, I mean, it's a fairly intense process. We are, we were four, now we are five people, and already on the way here, we had like 50 messages on Slack, uh, always like, so there's this, and should we ask this person to write something? So it's really like an intense communication. Sometimes it's uh, when we get a lot of emails in, in the office as well, it's a bit tiring to always communicate like that. Uh, but as we're in different places, we can't meet all the time. But on another sense, it's really lively. And then uh, we go to events like this and we meet and we can catch, catch up quickly. So we, had the, we have this kind of very interesting way of being together the whole year <laughs> digitally and than sometimes like this. Okay, I think maybe one or two more questions before we all go and join the party outside. Um, have you ever thought of doing one issue for children? For children? For children. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, that's, that's more, that's, I suppose that's when, when we will be done with uh, the six issues and we will be super famous and then we can do anything and we're going to make money out of that. Uh, that's probably when we should do, uh, we should do an issue for children. Uh, no, I've, I've never thought about it. I mean, I personally, I love a uh, children's book, so I hope one day I'll have time to write one. But that's, an op that's a completely different topic. Um, <laughs> but uh, apart from that, no. I don't know if you did no. ever thought about it, but uh, no. But yeah, could be an idea. <laughs> okay, do we have one to finish it off? Uh, may I do two? Ah. <laughs> um, so I think I guess I will answer this. Um, well, we had this discussion also a lot, and we we question it all the time. And uh, I think, um, well, where to start? Christoph and I, we have a background. Uh, we did both our master in a very um, in graphic design, but with a base. Like we wanted to tell stories and uh, not only make a beautiful book. So we wanted to use our skills as kind of 
um, showing or like like a, how do you can, how can I say this in English? But like as a um, as a communication tool, but really in the broad sense. So with Migrant Journal, we wanted something attractive because we knew that it will draw in new readers that usually wouldn't read about migration. It's as easy as that. But the process was really long. I mean, um, we spoke about the, the, the project in October 2015. And then by the time we launched the Kickstarter in May of last year, we needed to have something to show on Kickstarter. So we really, there was like a really long process of the design. And um, as we knew that there were six issues, we, we knew it was, was good to have a strong identity in itself because it's kind of the series that will be kind of a complete project. But yeah, I mean, we had this discussion a lot with the typeface as well. It wasn't like always uh, a decision like we're going to do this and it's, it's clear we had this idea. So we started to sketch and then we also tried other um, typefaces that are more known or more widely used, but we felt it was getting really like, it was looking like every other publication on the newsstand. So especially indie publications. So we felt we wanted to kind of be the sixth issue that is, has its identity in itself and really be apart from that. But yeah, we, we hope, and it's a really thin line, but we hope this way how we use color, how we use image, how we use infographics and maps uh, make up like this experience to dive into the content, not distract from it. But uh, if I could add something yeah. from a, a, a Philistine point of view as a non-graphic designer, especially coming from, I come from France and very serious uh, social science study where if you put a little bit of effort in the way it looks, it means that you're hiding something. Uh, and I've always thought that's the most stupid idea I've ever heard. So uh, if you make an effort into the way you design what you're trying to communicate, it's, it's both about the words you use and the font and the overall design of it, and that's all about communication. And that's why, yes, you have people who open the magazine uh, just because it looks very surprising and appealing. Uh, and I'm sure that some people buy it and, and don't actually read in detail the articles. I'm sure that, that that exists. But we have lots of people who are attracted by the look of it, and then they are intrigued by the content, and then they are led into getting, being more aware of the content by the overall design and the artistic direction of the magazine. Uh, and that's probably also where you have uh, one of the key is that those different elements uh, have been thought uh, uh, together from the very beginning of, of this project uh, with uh, Isabel and Christophe being the designers and being also the co-editors. Yeah, it's really also like for us design, sorry, uh, for us the design is also part, like just as language, part of the communication and uh, the narration. To give a narration makes a difference how you will show an image, if it's really small or big or all these, um, all these factors play into how you perceive a piece. So we wanted to make the most out of that. I, I think just, just to, uh, as an outsider looking in, I think that it really matters that, so say the typography is kind of strange and impactful, but then the text on the page is also kind of strange and impactful. They're, like they're not telling the stories in the way that you'd expect to see these stories being told. And for me, just the whole thing goes hand in hand very beautifully and effectively together. So um, I think we should um, come enter things here. I can see copies at the back. Are, are copies being sold tonight? Is I that, yeah? I assume so. The, uh, even being organized by a bookshop, uh, by Athenaeum New Centrum, I assume so. <laughs> okay, so if anyone doesn't have a copy here, or if you don't have one for your husband or wife or dog or whoever needs to get a copy, then Or right with friend. And yeah. Latin friend, That's yeah, or right with friend. Uh, thank you very much again to Mark and to Ateneum for organising this. Thanks again to WeTransfer for uh, helping support it. Thanks to you guys for coming along and thanks to all of you too. Cheers.
Okay, that's it for this week. I have to say I have a little bit of sympathy for Justinian stalking his customers. I definitely know that feeling of seeing a subscription come through and just wanting to know who is this person who's decided to join the club. Of course, I promise that if you do sign up to Stack, we won't actually stalk you. So please do use that podcast code. Go to stackmagazines.com and type in podcast when you sign up to get 10% off our regular prices. I'd like to say thanks again to everyone at Ateneum for organising the event and to WeTransfer for supporting it. Incidentally, that music that you could probably hear in the background towards the end was a celebration in the square outside for the new season of Herring, I think, that had come in. Man, they really love their Herring over there. They, really, they had a massive party. Um, thanks also to Justinian and Isabel for speaking so openly about making the magazine. And of course, thanks to you for listening. If you would like to hear more conversations with magazine makers, search for Stack Magazines on SoundCloud and iTunes. And if you haven't already heard it, check out last week's episode with Katie Krauser speaking about Anxi, the mental health magazine we sent out last month. It's a really great magazine and she did a brilliant job of explaining exactly what makes it all so special. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't heard that already, go and check it out. And of course, while you're there, follow us so that we can deliver next week's episode direct to you as soon as it's ready. We'll have another one of these out on Friday afternoon next week.